This scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. It can be found on page 917 in the Black Bibles. Now, angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, and a court of official of Cadence, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her, all her treasures. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet in Acts. Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before his shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I asked you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with the scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up and out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch say him, saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. The word of the Lord. Laverne, thank you for reading that for us this morning. And thank you all for being here. My name is John Trapp, and I'm the senior pastor here at Christ the King. It is great to be with you all. One of the things that we believe at this church is that all of us were at one point outsiders to God. And he saved us by his grace alone. So if you're here this morning and you aren't someone who believes in Jesus... Um, we want you to know that the Bible gives Christians no space to think that they're better than you. Because we believe that Christians actually didn't deserve to be saved. We were all outsiders and God brought us in only by his grace. So the question I want us to think about is what if God is this gracious towards outsiders? Believers, I, I want you to be reminded of that this morning, but also... If you're here and you're not a Christian, I want you to see the kind of posture that the God of the Bible has toward you, the posture of welcome that he has for you this morning. Uh, before we pray, I want to I say, too, that I, I, I heard a pastor in Washington, D.C. named Russ Whitfield preach a sermon on this text, and it's definitely going to influence some of what I say. And I also want to encourage y'all, if you're looking for um, a podcast to listen to, I know a lot of y'all maybe listen to sermons on podcasts um, Russ and his church, which is called Grace Mosaic, it's a multi-ethnic PCA church in D.C. It's a great podcast to tune into if you want to hear some good preaching. So before, um, before we look at this text, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time in it. Y'all pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your grace towards sinners. 
We thank you that you are a God who moves toward people who um, are outsiders. And we pray that you would now, as we consider this passage, help us to see um, once again your goodness for people like us who need grace. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning I want to uh, talk about two things. Two-part sermon. Here we go. Two parts, not three. Changing it up. So... I want us to look at how the gospel comes to the outsider through one, God's mission, and two, God's message. So we're going to look at God's mission and God's message. First, God's mission. When you look at the Bible from beginning to end, what you begin to see is you see how all of this word actually fits together as one big story. The Bible is one big story from Genesis to Revelation. And what you begin to see is that all throughout the pages of this story, God's mission for the world is global. God has a global mission. He creates the cosmos, right? He creates all of the world. He puts Adam and Eve in the garden. He tells them to fill the earth with their rulership, but also beauty and life. He gives them He gives them. He lets them rule over all things under his authority. And yet when they sin, God does not give up on that plan. He doesn't give up on his global mission plan. And so we see in Genesis 12, God comes to one particular person. And it's somebody, by the way, who hasn't done anything to deserve God moving towards him. It's an outsider named Abram. He's an idol worshiper. And yet God comes to Abram and he makes all kinds of promises to Abram. And the first one that he makes to him, he says, Abram, I'm going to make, I'm going to bless you. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I'm going to bless you. And then he says, so that through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He says, I'm going to bless you so that I can make you a blessing to others. And that's what we see all throughout the story of Scripture is God playing out this mission to not just bless one small group of people, but actually to bless the nations. What he says, you could also translate that word in Genesis 12, through you all the families of the earth will be blessed, Abram. It's not surprising then that Abram's seed, someone who comes from Abram's seed, Jesus still has an interest in blessing the nations. Jesus, who we believe is God in the flesh, God incarnate. Jesus shows up and he begins moving his people towards the nations. What's the last thing he tells the disciples in Matthew 28? The end of the book of Matthew, the great commission. Jesus sends them and what does he say? Go and make disciples of Israel. No. Go and make disciples of all the nations. And then we see this again in Acts chapter 1. We talked about this when we started our sermon series on Acts. Right before Jesus ascends into heaven, all the disciples are gathered around him. And their mission, their vision of of God's mission in the world is too small. They're like, okay, when's the kingdom being restored to Israel? It's a small vision. We're going to get the kingdom restored to us, to our little nation. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You are going to go and be my witnesses to Jerusalem, 
Like, cool, hometown. To Judea, great, home region. To Samaria, what? Samaria? Why are you sending us to Samaria? They did not like the Samaritans. And then he doesn't stop there. He says, and to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. Their vision is too small. My, uh, it reminds me of Joe Deegan, who's playing guitar up here. Joe and I grew up um, childhood friends back in Alabama. And he was telling me he took his family to, uh, they were going to go to Disney. And they all, you know, make the big trip to Orlando. They get there. They get, they're getting to the hotel and there's like Disney paraphernalia, you know, and some of those, there's maybe like one person kind of dressed with like a, like the Mickey ears at the um, hotel registrar and they get the kids tucked into bed and one of his kids looks up and they just go, daddy, I love Disney. He's like, this isn't Disney. I'm about to blow your mind tomorrow. Like you're going to have breakfast with Cinderella. That's Disney, right? This hotel is not Disney. That's something way bigger and way better. And yet the church, God's people throughout history, so often has lost God's bigger vision for what his mission is. And we settle for something so much smaller. And when we do this, the church becomes inward facing. Perhaps the church is even becoming inward facing here in the book of Acts. Because they've been given this mission by Jesus. Go to Samaria. Go to the ends of the earth. It's Acts chapter 7 now. Where are they? Jerusalem. They're still there. Hanging out. So, God is concerned about this. They are inward facing. When the church becomes inward facing, we lose sight of God's vision. It's like being stuck in the hotel room when Disney waits us, right? How do you know that you're inward facing? Um, there's a book that was written a couple years ago called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And this pastor who does a lot of consulting with dying churches um, or who kind of comes to churches that have already died, uh, he brought forth, these are a lot of the observations and things that are true about churches that are either dying or have died. Big survey across our country. What's true about churches that have died in America? They become inward facing. Couple bullet points that are true about them. The church had no mission. The church's budget increases focused more on inward needs than outward needs. The church became obsessed with facility maintenance. These are all things that are true, it says just broadly, about churches that have died in America. These are the kinds of things that are true. They become inward facing. And it's, it shouldn't surprise us. Because what does Jesus tell us? He tells us if you would try to save your life, you'll, you'll actually lose it. But if you'll lose your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospels, you'll find it. And, and the same is true for churches. When we become inward focused on our own needs, we actually begin to die. And the church, while the church is beautiful and the church is the, the bride of Jesus, she is also broken, is she not? And how often throughout our history as a church, as God's people, has our inward focus hurt those who are outside of us? I, I grew up in a, a church that I'm deeply grateful for. I, I know that I would, like, the Lord worked through the little church that I went to in Alabama called First Presbyterian Church, Tuscumbia. God used that church as an instrument of me coming to, to faith. 
And I'm, I'm deeply indebted to that place, and I love that place. And yet, part of the history of that place and places like it all throughout the South is a broken, sad history, too. The, the, the balcony that my family sits in every Sunday, you know, everyone's got their own seats in that church, like your spot. The balcony that we sit in, in a sanctuary that was built in 1824, deep in the South, where it's still the place where we worship, that balcony was built for the slaves. It was a balcony built for segregation. It was not a, it, that balcony was not built to serve outsiders, people viewed as outsiders culturally, but rather to section them off in the people of God. And we have to consider, friends, how much this must break the heart of a missional God. How much this must break the heart of a God who is interested in the outsider. What about today? All of us in our lives have somebody who are those people. Those people who are different than us. Those people who see the world differently than we do. They watch a different cable news channel than we do. They vote differently than we do. Maybe even culturally, they view things differently than we do. My question for you is, how do you view those people And is the way that you view those people shaped more by your American politics or your gospel kingdom politics? Because in the kingdom, what we are told is to love our enemies, to pray for our enemies. For the Christian, what we want is to have fellowship to bring the outsider, someone who's maybe even across the aisle in. So my question is, do you long to sit, I guess we don't have pews, but like in a chair next to somebody who for you is one of those people? Do you long to see people who are even outside of your culture brought in? Because friends, it is God's heart to reach across cultural boundaries. And we see that in this passage. It is God's heart for the nations to be reached. In fact, God is so determined to see this happen that his church, who has not yet left Jerusalem, the only way that they are going to be pressed out, God allows this to happen. Stephen dies. Stephen dies in a great persecution, rises up against the church at the beginning of Acts 8, and only then are they finally pressed out and scattered into the world. But as they are scattered, what are they bringing with them? The good news of Jesus to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. God is deeply committed to reaching the nations, and he won't let our inward-focused hearts stop him. God, God was going to do whatever it took. And so he sends, actually he sends Philip first to Samaria, and Philip shares the gospel there, and he sees great success there great fruitful ministry and then we get to see a little insight into the heart of God for the nations because you know they've gone one step outside of Judea they're in Samaria the gospel's in Samaria it's really fruitful and then God says and you I want you to see how involved in this process God is verse 26 an angel of the Lord God is so committed to this happening he sends an angel of the Lord to Philip he says hey know you're in a really fruitful ministry phase new plan go to the desert huh yeah 
go to the desert. Okay, he goes to the desert. And then, again, God is so concerned about sending us, verse 29, once again, the Spirit says to Philip, I mean, he probably showed up in the desert. He would never have expected what he saw in this desert. He goes to the desert. It's a road that was very, um, it was not traveled very often. It's kind of a dangerous road. It's out in the middle of nowhere. And there is, just south of Jerusalem, this African man on a chariot. Not what he would have expected to see. And the Spirit's like, go run over there. And it's kind of like a funny scene, if you because like, people didn't read, I don't know if you knew this, people in the first century didn't read in their heads the way that we do. That's kind of like a, a newer thing. So you've got this Ethiopian eunuch sitting on a chariot, reading Isaiah out loud, and Philip's like, hey man, you're in the desert. Yeah. Hey, you know what you're reading? I mean, it's kind of this preposterous thing, but God is this committed to it happening. This man needs to hear the gospel. So who is this man? This man is an Ethiopian, a black African from modern day Sudan. Now, I did a Google Earth thing about how far modern day Sudan from Jerusalem. 58 hours on like modern roads with a ferry to get there. This guy had been traveling for a minute. He had gone a long way from his home to Jerusalem. And he had, he had a lot of help. He was a man of means. He's basically like the CFO of Ethiopia. He's wealthy. He's educated. He's reading. Not many people could read. But he's also, he's seeking something. You know, he's, he is on this pilgrimage, you could say. And he's returning from it. And I, and I, would, I would guess, I think, I think we, can, we can make a very educated guess from this text that he's returning disappointed. So when, when you look at clues from, the, uh, from this text and other texts, you can see that um, this man was, was very likely what would be called a God-fearer. So he was somebody who um, was a, a Gentile ethnically, but had converted to Judaism from the dispersion of Jews who had gone into Africa, he had heard about the Jewish faith. He was a guy, he was a, a guy who believed in Yahweh. It's why, he went to, it's why he went to the temple in Jerusalem. And later we see in, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 10, the description of the first like, true Gentile convert. It's this guy named Cornelius. We'll talk about him later. So you've got this man who, he worships the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's made this big, long trip. Who knows what it would be like to travel in the first century through the desert with a, a horse and buggy chariot scenario. And he finally gets to the temple. But when he gets to the temple, you know what he would have found? He would have found out that he's not able to worship in that place. Because of what Deuteronomy 23.1 says about restrictions for people like eunuchs to be in the place of worship in the temple. So he makes this big, long trip. He gets to the temple. And maybe he knew this would happen or didn't know, but at least when he got there, he was reminded that there was something about him that still made him an outsider. But next, I want you to see that the gospel comes to the outsider through God's message. 
He's there reading Isaiah 53 out loud, which is a stunning passage, by the way. If you have a friend who's Jewish who wants to know why you believe in Jesus, open Isaiah 53 with them and read it with them. Because it's a prophetic chapter of the Bible. And when you read it, it, it's just Jesus. It's Jesus. And this guy is sitting there and he's got his Isaiah scroll. He maybe bought it while he was in Jerusalem. He's writing back and he's reading it, but he doesn't understand it. This is what he reads. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? Philip hears him reading that. Philip's like, well, I know who that is. <laughs> he's like running next to him. Like a sheep is silent before its shearers. Okay, I'm not like a super farmy guy you know, from Alabama, but doesn't mean I'm farmy, sorry. But I was curious, like, what is sheep shearing like? So, I mean, it's not a, the best use of your time, but if you want to look at the 2017 uh, World Sheep Shearing Competition on YouTube, it's kind of fun. I mean, if there's like these Australian guys and Scottish guys and British guys, and they're, they're all like there with their like shearing gear, shear gear, just made that up. They're there with their shear gear, and they're waiting for the gates to open, and the gates like swing open, and I was kind of imagining like, oh, they're, they're, these sheep are just going to be so mad about being sheared. And it's the total, it's hilarious. The sheep come out and they're just like, you know, they just kind of like lay on the side and these guys are like, shave and then they toss the sheep over and the next one comes out and they, they're shaving them and they're just, I mean, going so fast and the announcer's like, oh, that crocky there he goes on the, I mean, it's so great. And I'm like watching this and these sheep are just so absurdly passive. Being, being shorn, sheared, I don't know. And this, this Ethiopian eunuch is reading from the Isaiah scroll about someone who goes and is slaughtered like a sheep before its shearers. And he says, who is this? And Philip says, you know, you know how you believe in Yahweh? You know the God of the Bible? God put skin on. God became a man. And he became obedient to death. Like, God became an outsider. He became like an outsider. God became a son of a teenage woman out of wedlock. God became a refugee who immigrated to Egypt during a genocide. God became a minority living under imperial rule in Rome. God became a young man who experienced the grief of losing his father before he turned 30. God became poor and homeless. God associated with tax collectors and drunks and prostitutes. God was lied about and belittled by the religious community of his day. God was betrayed by his friends. God was arrested and tried in a mockery of criminal justice. God was murdered by the Roman state by the most shameful and torturous punishment they had available, crucifixion. God could not afford a burial place, so his friends had to give him one. This is who, this is who Philip is telling the eunuch about. God became like this. This is a prophecy about who Jesus 
is. God entered into this world and was treated like an outsider so that people like us who are outsiders could be brought in. So that we could be included. So that we could be made his family. And maybe, you, maybe you're sitting here like, man, that sounds really nice, but you don't know this about me. You ever wonder, like, yeah, but there's this thing about me. I mean, I know God is gracious for most people. God's gracious for most, but I'm an alcoholic. Or God is gracious for most people, but I, I struggle with same-sex attraction. Or God is, God is gracious for most people, but I, I've made business dealings that if anyone actually knew about them, I could go to jail. I think the Ethiopian eunuch probably would have had something like that to say. Yeah, I, I'm like, according to the Bible, I kind of sexually broken. Is God for me? Is God for the sexually broken? Is God for the people who don't maybe even fit into the cultural sexual norms of that day? Look, the Bible is clear. God doesn't want any of, any of these things that is listed for us. And yet those things can't keep you an outsider from God. He brings all kinds of people in by his grace. And because he's gracious, he, be, he does begin to change us and make us holy and make us more like him. And even having us turning from our sin towards him. But he doesn't ask us first to become holy and then get his grace. He gives us his grace first, and that's what we see here with this Ethiopian eunuch. And I, it, it just, I love this thinking about, it, like this man asked to be baptized, he puts his faith in Jesus, asked to be baptized, and then he gets back on his chariot, he's going back to Ethiopia. And you know what he would have read if he kept reading his Isaiah scroll? This is so beautiful. Isaiah 56, three chapters later. Let the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely not separate me from his people. No outsiders in God's family. You know what the next verse says? And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. In other words, I'm never gonna have a family. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and, and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. The Lord God who, get his verse eight, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. God is in the business of bringing in outsiders. And he brings them as far inside as they can possibly go. He redeems them and he actually makes them his kids. He adopts us into his family. And one day he will glorify us and give us an everlasting name and we're gathered. And yet he also gives us tastes, tastes of that of his redemptive work even in our lives today. And I think, I think the Ethiopian eunuch got some tastes. Because if the early church historian and father Irenaeus is right, do you know who the first missionary was to Africa? This man. This Ethiopian eunuch who was going back to Africa childless. 
feeling like a dry tree. He went back. He shared the good news of Jesus. And a family grew up around him. He was an adopted child of the king. And he brought others into it. Think of the massive family that this Ethiopian eunuch now has. In fact, Christianity was so established in Ethiopia that it became, it became the national religion of Ethiopia before Constantine made Christianity the national religion of Rome. They were ahead of Rome. And there's so many important Christian thinkers that have come out of northern Africa, out of Ethiopia, both historically, early, and today. So Christians, you who are gathered now, I want you to ask this question to yourself. To whom have I been sent? Like if God is a missionary God who sends his own son, God missionally sends his son Jesus to us. God sends Philip to this Ethiopian eunuch. God sends this Ethiopian eunuch back to his home. To whom have you been sent? I heard a story about an English tutor here in Houston a few years ago, more than a few years ago, who took a job with a family from Iran, the Ziafat family. They had moved here during the Islamic Revolution, and they had a six-year-old boy named Afshin. Afshin um, grew to really love this tutor who cared for him well, who listened to him, who read with him every day. And this Christian woman began to understand and say, to whom have I been sent? I've been sent to Afshin. God has sent me here for a reason. And so, one day she brought, when he was in the second grade, she brought Afshin a book. She said, Afshin, I want you to promise me something. This is the most important book in the world, but you can't understand it all yet. I want you to promise me that one day when you think you're old enough to understand it, that you'll read it. And so he promised her. And Afshin said, like, life after that, like, wasn't all easy. Um, he experienced a lot of racism. Even living here, he, he said he had bricks thrown through his window, he was shot with BB guns, called names, bullied at school. And doubtless, um, some of the people who did that would, would maybe even call themselves Christian. And if one of them had given him this book, I, I doubt that he would have read it. But somebody who gave him this book in love asked him to make a promise to read it. And so when he was a senior in high school, he picked up that New Testament that his old English tutor had given him. He read it and he gave his life to Jesus. And today, Pastor Afshin Ziafat is the senior pastor of Providence Church in Frisco, Texas. To whom have you been sent? God will not be stopped from bringing all kinds of people who are outside of his family into it. He will not be stopped. Thank goodness he won't, because if he could be, we would be in trouble. But he has brought outsiders in. Christians, if he has come to you, know that he also sends you. To whom have you been sent? And if you're not a Christian, we love that you're here. Thank you for being here. And I would ask you, I would tell you, this really is the heart of God for all kinds of people, and you are welcomed. You are welcome because the Bible tells us, the end of the Bible tells us that God will have his way. And so I'll close just by reading 
from Revelation 7, where we see a picture of what eternity will be. After this I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, salvation does belong to you. And we thank you that you who own salvation are so gracious with it, so gracious that you would even deem to give it to us who don't deserve it. And Father, we pray that you would replace our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh, a heart like yours, a heart for people who are different than us, a heart for people who are broken like us. And we pray that you would send us and help us to be faithful in going. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.